G'day, the Bible bloke here. Thanks for joining me. It's great to have you along. Grab your Bibles and let's get stuck in. A quick content warning for little ears. This episode has spoilers. And for some, I might even get a bit controversial. Let's see where we go. Santa Claus has become more about Christmas than the baby Jesus. Christmas today is a celebration at whose heart is an obese bearded man in a red suit. You can buy Santa foil balloons, books, Santa hats, plates, bowls, coffee mugs, soap dispensers, pillowcases and night attire. Santa is resplendent on decorations, kinder surprise, earrings, shortbread and if you are happy to fork out $4.50 you can even buy Santa pet headbands for your pooch. Oh come on, seriously? I kid you not. Santa is all pervasive. I put together this list above by going to the Big W online store and searching on the word Santa. I didn't click through all 13 pages of products. I looked at the first two or three and that was enough for my sensibilities. What would happen, I wondered, if I searched on Jesus? Any guesses? We couldn't find a match for Jesus. Did you mean Jess? Make sure all words are spelled correctly, try again using different keywords, or try less specific keywords. I personally don't think you can get any more specific than Jesus. Okay, I'll go along with this. I changed my search term and went with Nativity. I am rewarded with a page of results. Well, that's something. There are four Nativity picture books. One is 41% off, another 59% reduced to clear. And there is one Christmas classic nativity set, glitter-free, for $8. A big, cheesy thing with Joseph looking rather smug, Mary looking completely bemused. At least she's cradling the baby Jesus in her arms. Under the products you might also like section, not to get away from the theme for terribly long, is a Christmas classic house Santa scenery decoration glitter-free. And wow, knock me down with a feather, a light-up Santa's truck, which is, you guessed it, a rather worn-looking red ute with Santa hanging out the driver's window and a Christmas tree in the back. Okay, so first up, what have they got against glitter? And secondly, it is amazing how quickly I am directed away from my chosen search to something I don't really want and I'm not really interested in. Such is the power of the search algorithm. They think they know what you really want, they certainly know what they want you to buy, and they aren't going to let you get away without buying it. If they can possibly exert enough influence on your psyche, they will. We should know by now just how secular the society is in which we live. Everything seems geared to drag our attention away from the real reason for the season. There are even elves on shelves that enslave those who choose to get involved. Beware. These elves, creepy looking little dolls, have taken on a life of their own. They first appeared in a children's picture book published back in 2005 and a fad quickly grew around it. The idea is you adopt an elf. Pretty simple. Back in the day, it was a Cabbage Patch kid, I seem to remember, and they were all pretty ugly. 
As soon as the elf arrives and you open his or her box, um, I'm assuming they're all boys, I have no proof on this either way, you release them into your home to watch over events and behaviours. Once everyone goes to bed, the elf zips back to the North Pole and gives our situation report to Santa. Now, this is a big help to Santa, that jolly old elf, in determining who has been naughty and who has been nice. After all, Santa is not omniscient, nor indeed is he omnipresent. These particular little elves apparently fly back from the North Pole each morning and hide in a different place. It's basically a game of hide-and-seek that is condoned and driven by the adults of the house, in secret, of course. The child sees the elf as using its magic, but only once the elf has been named and is loved by the child. You see, according to the book, it is only once the elf is named that it receives its special magical powers. No one is allowed to touch this creepy little doll, otherwise it will lose its powers. Which, of course, opens the door to the existence of a whole different reality in that magic shifts from make-believe to being something real, something with purpose. To quote from the book, There is only one rule that you have to follow, so I will come back and be here tomorrow. Please do not touch me. My magic might go, and Santa won't hear all I've seen and I know. Wow, that makes my skin crawl big time. I had a bit of a scratch around to discover how popular this particular fad is, and I say fad, however it is being pushed into people's homes as a new and super fun Christmas tradition. I did find a Forbes magazine article dated November 2019 which puts the figures at around about 13 million. Elves, that is, not dollars. A quick look on Amazon tells me that these creepy little things sell from between 50 and 60 bucks each for the genuine article, depending on the vendor. And there are some folks who have more than one elf hanging around like a spiritual bad smell. You can tell I'm not overly fussed with this idea. These elves are pointing to a Santa Claus who is no longer friendly and charitable. This Santa Claus is no longer concerned for the welfare of the poor. This Santa Claus we know, and supposedly love today, is driven more by material and commercial expedience. In short, the Santa Claus we know does not embrace that biblical imperative of looking after widows and orphans. It's every man and woman and child for themselves. What did you get me for Christmas? If I may be a bit controversial here, Santa Claus has become less of an adjunct to Christmas and more the absolute central focus of what Christmas is. The baby Jesus has gone out with the bathwater, and Santa sits fat and smug on his throne, inviting children to sit on his knee to tell him their deepest wants and wishes. Okay, I might be being a bit harsh with that, but I feel we must be aware of the spiritual aspect of these things. We just have to look at the lyrics of the popular Christmas song to realise that something a tad insidious is going on behind the scenes. You know the song? It starts off with these words. You better watch out. You better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. 
It goes on, of course, with Santa becoming some kind of omniscient being, seeing when children are sleeping, when they are awake, aware of them of being either bad or good, and the end result is some kind of rather nasty behaviour modification. How did we come to this state of affairs? It seems to have been, as one commentator puts it, a bit of a snowball effect. The popularity of Christmas as a celebration began to gain momentum in about the mid-1800s in both England and America. In England, the central characters in the Christmas revival were my old mate Charles Dickens, Queen Vic and hubby Prince Albert. Dickens' novella A Christmas Carol is a perennial favourite. It was intended as a social critique, as much of Dickens' writing is. Focus, as it does, on Ebenezer Scrooge, who is described as a tight-fisted, hand-at-the-grindstone Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Dickens goes on to tell his readers that Scrooge was hard as a flint and cold to the very core. It's a very unappealing image. Early on in the story, Scrooge, who is very much the essence of bar humbug, is contrasted with his genial nephew, who, despite Scrooge's state of bitterness, genuinely seems to care for the old man. I want to take a moment to highlight the word humbug. Rather than being an invention of Dickens himself, the word had been around since at least the 1750s. We take it to mean someone who doesn't approve of something that other people might enjoy, especially an occasion such as Christmas. But this isn't the original meaning of the word. A humbug is actually something that is false or fraudulent. It's not that Scrooge was poo-pooing Christmas, no indeed, he was declaring it to be a complete fraud, a sham, totally untrue. Christmas, according to Scrooge, was a complete deceit. With the visitation of the three spirits, Scrooge has shown that he still has a chance for redemption, a change of heart. Although Jesus is not mentioned in the book at all, we end up with three words that indicate any change of heart here. He went to church, referring to Scrooge. However, we see in his opening up to the idea of charity and the fact that everything could yield him pleasure indicates that he had moved from a place of bitterness to a place of joy. What comes out of Dickens' story is the sense of goodwill to all something that was sadly lacking in Victorian times, and I'm sad to say that it's still something we don't do well in some places. Dickens was pushing for a cultural change. He was interested in pointing out the selfishness that was endemic in the people and the institutions of his day. Christmas was not celebrated. It was a normal workday, and for many, work was dirty, dangerous, and poorly paid. Work was something that could actually lead to your death. And yet, Queen Victoria and Prince Albert set the example for the gathering of family together and pushing the theme of generosity, of charity, rather than self-interest. So, I hear you ask, how does Santa Claus fit into this? He isn't anywhere on the Victorian radar, and quite right. What is important is the establishment of the Christmas tradition. The celebration of Christmas as a thing, as a day. The foundations had to be laid for Christmas to be seen and celebrated as a holiday. Okay, so the tree is up, but the presents aren't yet under the tree. Where to now? 
Let's hop into our time machine and head back to the Council of Nicaea, convened by the Emperor Constantine in the year 325 AD. On the list of attendees was one Nicholas of Myra. Bishop. Yep, the one and only Saint Nicholas. Well, there seems to have been another Nicholas, and he is even more obscure than our mate from Myra, so I won't muddy the waters by dredging him up. The fact that Nicholas went to Nicaea is one of the few things we really know. We know that he was bishop of a place called Myra, which is now in southern Turkey. We know that he was born in Patra, which is in Lycia in Asia Minor. We also know that in 1087, a bunch of Italian merchants nicked his body and took it back to Bari, Bari, or however you pronounce it, in Italy. Everything else about Nicholas of Myra is the stuff of legend and speculation. In fact, so little is known about our mate Nick that in 1969 the Catholic Church demoted his feast day from universal to optional, which basically meant you didn't have to celebrate it because no one believed you in him anyway. Well, somehow this well-meaning saint morphed from a guy who lived in southern Turkey into the Santa Claus we know today. How that happened is the substance of Act 2. For the moment, I must lower the curtain and let the actors catch their breath. Join me for the next instalment of How Santa Claus Came to Be. Friends, until we meet again, I pray that you are blessed by deeper wisdom as you open and read God's Word.